welcome to Coming Out the Pod with me, Ed Connell, the podcast where members of the LGBTQ community share their coming out stories with me. Having heard earlier in the series from educational psychologist Dr. Dan O'Hare, I thought it'd be a good idea to hear from an actual teacher. And so I asked my friend Sam Schofield. Sam is head of cricket at Trinity School, a private school near Croydon, with an impressive sporting alumni. Sam talks about how when rumours started circulating amongst the students at school about his sexuality, as Sam says it, he took ownership by leading assemblies about LGBT issues. And so it's encouraging to learn that there's now an LGBT society at school which has openly gay students. How times have changed since I was at school. He talks about how he came out to a friend over a few drinks whilst watching cricket at the Oval and how his father died suddenly before he had the chance to begin telling his family. Sam also talks about his love of sport, the reasons as to why he joined an LGBT football club, and how he became involved in coaching the England Cricket Physical Disability Team. Please be aware that this podcast contains some bad language and themes of an adult nature. to introduce my next guest who's Sam Schofield. Uh, Sam you're a teacher at the Trinity School in South Croydon is that right? That is correct yes. Um, And I know you're also involved in cricket coaching. Yes um, so I'm head of cricket at Trinity School. Um, Done a lot of club cricket coaching. Uh, I've coached for Surrey um, and I'm more recently involved in the England physical disability uh, setup as well. Excellent. And I want to ask you some questions about your involvement in cricket and LGBT cricket. Um, so you've told us you play cricket. And I think you also play, well, I know you play football as well, because that's how we met, in fact. Uh, yes. So um, I eventually got back into playing football um, about a, probably, I think it's my third season back with Titans. So, um, yeah, after a long stint off from probably finishing at uni, um, decided to, to get back playing again um, and thought about joining an LGBT team um, for many reasons, um, mainly to try and meet like-minded people and have some new friends, etc. because not really having many gay, gay friends around my normal social uh, circle. Um, so, yeah, and that's where I've met people like yourself and, and other great guys at the club. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a good two and a bit years so far, and on th- and off the pitch. And I think that... Um when you joined the club, my participation as sort of manager and player had finished that, and I think I was probably refereeing for the club at the time. Is that right? Yes, that was. I think the first time I met you was when you um, refed an intra-club game, pre-season friendly, um, and that's where we got to know a few more of the the players and, and yourself. Um, trying to manage our lot on the pitch, um, I was very impressed. <laughs> not not an easy exercise. No. And um, for people who probably think that I'm some sort of um, doing advertising for LGBT football and London Titans, I'm not. It's just coincidental. But I mean, the reality is a lot of my connections in the LGBT world have come from football. But uh, I know that London Titans are featured in several of the episodes I've done so far. But we'll come back later on if we can to LGBT football. I should say it's very nice to be conducting this interview face to face. My plan when I started the podcast um, and did my first interview about three years ago, there's always going to be a conversation over a glass of wine with people. And I did that for the first interview. And then 
pretty much since then, with one exception, they've all been done over Zoom. So it's nice to have somebody um, speaking to me face to face and nice to finally get to use the equipment I purchased. Because for those people that obviously can't see what's going on, we've got a bit of a sort of what looks like a, a radio station set up with microphones in my flat. But uh, so it's, it's good to finally um, see someone face to face. So in terms of school, you're obviously head of cricket at your school. How long have you been at that school for? I never keep track of this properly, but I think in January it will be eight years. Right. So I started at a funny time of year. Um, so, yeah, it's flown by. Um, kind of started as uh, a deputy manager in the sports centre that we have at school and I was kind of second in command of cricket then. Um, and I've just gradually made my way up into the P department after a couple of years um, and then lucky enough uh, took over as head of crickets. I think it will be three years about now-ish. Um, so yeah, my, my progression has been pretty quick, but um, at the same time, I can't believe I've been there eight years already. It's, um, it's gone quickly. So hopefully that's a good sign of it going well and, and, and enjoying it. And it's a it's an independent fee paying school. Yeah, private school. Private and school, yes. um, I think it's it's boys up until sixth form, then it's co-ed in sixth form. Is, is that, that is right? correct. Yeah. So um, obviously a bit of a different environment now um, to what we're normally in. But um, yeah, so we call them J bugs. So they come in as under eleven or, or J form, and then all the way up to um, upper sixth, um, where like you said, it's co-ed at, at sixth form. So that's a different dynamic for the uh, the pupils to deal with. And I guess, um, given the time we're in, having this discussion, which is um, the end of September, I should ask you about how things are at the school in the sort of the COVID world we live in. Yeah, it's actually been really pleasing to see how much work the school have done in terms of getting every, everyone prepared and ready and the school set up. Um, we, I was part of uh, the coaching team that were actually in last um, half of the summer term where we had one, our J-Bugs come in um, to just to see how it would work with having a gear group in and how we would do sport and how they would do lessons, et cetera, um, and did some coaching then. So that was kind of a bit of a, a rerun or pre-run before actually coming back um, full-time in a way like we did a few weeks ago. Um, but, yeah, it, it's great. I mean, for us as sports staff, it's great because we're outside and the weather's been great, so we can do... Um, as much as we can and a lot of work has been done by the people in charge um, higher up the school to get everything ready but yeah it's it's just being sensible wearing face masks when you're meant to sanitizing stations all the time washing your hands all the time in terms of the sport it's just making sure the kids are safe they're bringing their hygiene bags we're washing kit after they use it etc so um, and I think the kids love being back as well they love seeing us they love seeing each other um obviously they're getting used to a few new things like one-way systems and only being allowed to be in certain areas of the school at certain times but on the whole you know it's been a really positive experience and presumably operating in bubbles as well yeah that's right so um each year group have got their own little section of the school that they do the majority of their lessons in with a little bit of moving around um as required for certain subjects so um i think the teachers are getting used to doing a few more steps having to move from department to department but um yeah i think on the whole so far so good i always think it helps for listeners to sort of contextualize someone's sort of um upbringing so 
which part of the country were you born in, Sam? So, um, yeah, I've kind of been based in the south of England, south London, um, for all my life, apart from a couple of moments being overseas for various things. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I always say, well, I never class myself as South London. I kind of like South, South London. So, um, yeah, grew up in, in Surrey. Um, generic background, um, you know, mum, dad, older brother. Um, What's the age gap between you and your brother? Oh, God. Uh, that would be four years. Right. Four years. Um, and he's he's been out um, living in Vietnam, Hong Kong for the last probably six, seven years as well. He's now got a wife out there and he's expecting a baby. So I'm going to be a gun call in a couple of months. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, a long distance one. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, growing up with an older brother. Um, yeah, just no, just, I don't like saying it, but the only thing I can think of is like just very steady family life growing up, nothing fancy, no, just a nice area called Carshalton Beaches, which had everything we needed around us. Uh, school was close by, or high school was anyway. And um, it was a state educated? Yes. And mixed tech school? Uh, it was, yep. And then I went to a different school for A-levels, um, which was the school all my primary school mates went to. So at year seven, it was a new school. So my year would have been the first year. Um, but my, my parents didn't want me going to a school with no history and no background. So I was a little bit grumpy, to say the least, because a lot of my mates went there. But we managed to meet up at sixth form and do two years. Yeah, so that, that was interesting, going through two different schooling systems, I guess, or two different schools. And then you, I think, did your undergrad degree at University of Worcester? I did, yes. So in my first year, it was actually uh, University College Worcester. So we only got our, um, our university uh, status in the second year. Um, but yeah, that was a great experience as well. I very nearly only completed the first kind of semester, I guess, up until Christmas. Um, and I remember coming home for Christmas and was, I was just all over the place. I was, I don't want to be here. This is just school extended and it's all work and whatever. Um, so the social life and meeting friends and all that kind of stuff was brilliant. Um, but yeah, my motivation to work and, and learn more was was tiring a little bit. But thankfully, parents taught me around, went back, completed the first year and just never looked back, really. It was um, it was it was well worth doing. What, what did you study? So I studied sports coaching and PE. Um, I originally looked at Worcester Uni because they were offering a cricket scholarship. Um, so that's what attracted me to the uni in the first place. Um, in the end, I didn't actually go for the trial. I got injured. Um, but looking at some of my mates who didn't get in, who are much better cricketers than me, it's in a way it was a blessing that I didn't actually go and even though it would have been good to put myself through that to see what was going on, I would have been nowhere near the standard thereafter. So, um, but still glad I went there. It was, you know, great uni. I don't know if you've been to Worcester at no, all, but it's a lovely little town. Obviously, it's the cathedral, the river. There's a lot of history there. Um, made some really good friends. Um, I actually went back there last summer for the first time since I left to be part of the England uh, coaching setup for the World Cup. Um, for the physical disability side so it was great to go back and st we stayed at the uni digs as well so went down memory lane a little yeah, bit which was nice um, but yeah couldn't speak highly enough of, of the place it was um, a good three and a bit years and when you went to uni was it always with a view to ending up in education or did you not know or um good question I think 
I would I think there probably was that that element to it for sure. I was probably I've always been more interested in the sports coaching side of things. Um, but obviously with the P, um, sorry, the, the, um, physical education element to it, that was always an interest. Um, but mainly sports coaching, cricket coaching, um, and just seeing where that might take me and learning things like analysis and biomechanics and all that kind of stuff. That was mainly the interest. And I'm guessing from your now participation in sport, that sports always been what a big part of your life when you were growing up. Yeah, massive. I, I can't remember a time where I wasn't playing it so having an older brother he was um, very much involved with rugby and so was my dad at a local rugby club so I used to go along and um, just be at matches and go to training and stuff like that I tried it myself but I didn't actually get along with it so I used to muck around with my brother and his mates and at that stage they were kind of like tackling properly Um, and then the age group I was doing it, it was only touch rugby Um, So I remember one of my first training sessions, we were doing whatever drill it was. And of course, it was only meant to be touch rugby. So I, first two people, I just tackled normally. And they were just like, no, you you can't do that. That's not what we play. So I was like, all right, fine enough. And then played a game and it was, I didn't see the ball. I didn't get it. You couldn't run that far. So I remember, bless her, my mum bought me some rugby socks, club socks to wear. And I remember basically walking off the pitch. She was walking towards me with his socks and I was like, yeah, I won't need those. I'm not, I'm not playing again. So I felt really bad because they were obviously happy I was playing. So unfortunately, it's a game I wish I would have got into a bit more, but that was my first experience um, with sport. And then kind of football took over bit later into cricket actually when, um, when did you start playing cricket then oh um probably not until i was about 14 or 15 so okay. fairly late considering compared to some of the people i end up playing with um again just for a local cricket club um that was near to us um again just just really enjoyed it just picked it up quite quickly um yeah never looked back end up playing for a different club i think about a year later i don't know why i can't remember why i moved to the club i think it was I met a couple other people, um, slightly better set up, I think, in terms of the juniors. Um, but yeah, always love sport, always been involved. Kind of, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I couldn't see myself not being involved in sport in some way, playing or coaching or yeah. whatever. So, and when you graduated from university, mm. did you go straight into teaching or? Um, no, it was a bit of a strange pathway. So uh, I. Came back home for a bit. Um, I then, so my last year at uni, um, that summer I actually stayed up, played for a local club up there called Old Elizabethans. Um, And uh, it was kind of, it was a really nice setup. So there was a few of us that stayed from uni to play for the club. They had a couple of Australians that came over to play as well. So we all formed a bit of a bond, a bit of a friendship group. And they asked a couple of us to go out there and play well there well our winter their summer so managed to go out there organize flights etc so pretty much finished uni a couple of months and then went to play cricket out there which was a good experience um out there with one of my la- my mates from uni um so yeah that was an incredible experience you know that's when i fell in love with australia yeah um end up going back there a bit later on 
And I know that at some stage you were sort of on the Gold Coast near Service Paradise. Was that that spell when you were there? So that was the second time I went out there. Right. So um, I only spent, my first time I only spent six months out there and that was all what it was going to be. Bit of a holiday, bit of work, bit of cricket. Came back, um, started twiddling my thumbs a little bit, thinking, right, I need to get a job. Um, wasn't finding anything I wanted. Um going out, spending too much money. Um, and that was actually when I started exploring Soho and that those kind of areas a bit more um, after some time away. Um, but then just going back onto the, the work side of things, um, ended up my one of my mates from the club t- texted me a tweet, a link to a job at Trinity, and said, what do you think about this? I think it was sports coach and sorry, cricket coach and sports club deputy manager or whatever it was um which I don't know why he sent it to me but you know it was one of those moments you look back on and think I'm so glad he did um yeah so I applied for the job got it and then that's kind of helped me helped me have a sense um going through and Trinity School I know has got a reputation hasn't it for um, successful sports because mm. I was checking out some of the alumni, and although I was drawn particularly to Dame Bowers um, of another level fame, <laughs> uh, I note that there are um, some well-known cricketers. So you had um, Gary and Mark Butcher. Correct, yes. Um, along with, uh, I think, a few other both cricketers, rugby players, mm-hmm. and I even noticed Lewis Graben. The, yes. I think he's still a forest striker. Uh, I think he still is, yeah. He's a recent or more recent graduate, um, I think... He might have been there in my first year of joining the school. Um, so I don't think, I didn't really know much of him or anything like that. Obviously, you hear in the department about certain pupils being talented, very yeah. good, being signed somewhere, etc. Uh, but no, I didn't know much about Lewis. But obviously, seeing what he's then got on to do um, has been pretty impressive. We got a, in our sports centre, we got a wall of names of sports people that have gone on to represent England or professional level, etc. Yeah. So we kind of got a wall of fame type thing. So he's he's definitely up there. So I want to ask you obviously about your coming out story. And a lot of sure. the, the uh, my guests have um, particular ideas to when it was in their life they first recognised either they were mm. gay or were different to other people. Um Looking back now, do you can you identify when that was for you? Um, I've been asked this before, and hopefully I'll be able to explain it better than last time. Um, so I think growing up as a teenager, so probably when I got to my teenage years, I started having certain thoughts or ideas, or when you see something on TV or, or whatever, you kind of think, oh, right, okay, so but never really understanding what the feelings were, what they might mean. Um, I wouldn't say anything like that was discussed at home in terms of being gay or bisexual or whatever. It was just, if it came up, you'd speak about it. Otherwise, you know, I assumed it wouldn't be an issue. Um, So it was more of a kind of a steady progress into realising what might be. So yeah, high school, again, Probably, looking back then, you'd probably describe me in the bisexual bracket if you want to put people in brackets. Um, um, definitely being more interested in, in girls and having girlfriends, etc. Um, but just having in the back of your head, 
that kind of a little bit of an attraction or an idea to to guys. Um, then prob- going to uni, again, probably something similar. Nothing really changed that much, although you'd probably say people were a bit more open to LGBT because there were societies and clubs and people were probably a bit more open in their personalities, but again, never acting on it or, or doing anything about it. So really, it was only until... Again, when I came, it was actually when I came back from Australia the second time. Um, and not that I want to make this a sob story, but when I was out in Australia, um, my dad died. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, unexpectedly. Like, so mum and dad going through a breakup. Dad went to his sister to stay, etc. And basically, I remember getting a call out of the blue in Australia, like early doors from my brother saying, dad's on his way out. And he's like, what's going on here? And the reason why I mentioned that is because obviously I came home, did the family stuff, then went back to Australia, finished my time there. Um, but it just gave me a perspective on things, etc. So he never knew that I was gay. So it was only when I came back and kind of got to a point where I was settled in myself, in my own head. And I was like, no, I think, not that I was trying to hide it or put it away, but I was... I was certain I was like that kind of in a weird way helped me realize that if I am hiding it, I don't need to anymore. Um, and if I get to a point where people ask me if I am, I'm comfortable enough to say yes. Um, and that is when I started exploring Soho and other parts of London and just getting the vibe of the place. I remember going to the Tuberas for the first time and I was just basically hiding in the corner i go there now and it's great and i love it but i remember going there first just going oh my god don't talk like they're lovely people and the artists they're great but i was just kind of just really overwhelmed by yeah so the two bros is a is a gay bar and club in clapham uh which you know is a sponsor one sponsor the football club but it's a um a place that sort of members of the football team go to quite a bit but it's interesting to say that because i've been listening to will young's um audiobook because he's written a book very recently about his experience of being gay and he talks in similar terms about going to sort of gay bars for the first time and how it's quite an intimidating um, mm. process by that stage though when you first um start going to sort of gay bars and soho had you told anybody at that stage that you were gay did anybody else know no so i went through a, i went through a bit of a, a bad period where um i was gutted about having to leave australia I didn't want to. I wanted to stay and and do more of what I was doing out there, but that couldn't happen. So I think a combination of that, you know, having to go back to the family home as well and live there for a bit, you know, was a bit of a a kick in the teeth. And yeah, I just, again, a combination of trying to find a new job, but not being successful, going out, spending more money than I needed to, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't say I got into a spiral, but I was kind of like, just really messed up in my head and wanted to go enjoy myself, but not fully commit to coming out or whatever. And I also am on the opinion that I don't think people should have to come out. I think it's one of those things that it is normal. It is accepted by a lot of people. Um, so that was, that's where, like I said, I got into my head that if someone asked me, I will say yes. But until then, I don't feel the need to. So at that point, no, no one, no one knew. Um, there was actually, it's a really, I don't know whether it's a funny story or not, but I actually told one of my friends from the cricket club first before family or anyone else. 
and I remember, and it was a, it was during that time where I was going out and you know just enjoying myself a bit more. We were we managed to get a box at the Oval, and it was England versus Australia. I think it was the last day of a Test match or whatever. It went it was quite close, um, and stupidly the chairman said have a few drinks etc so of course we had more than just a few drinks I think he said something like 10 pound a head but that had gone before play started so um so anyway to get to the point I remember we were just standing on like the balcony area I think the game was going on whatever there were people around and I honestly do not know what came into my head I don't know why I told him but I just turned to him and said Chris I'm gay and he just looked at me and went all oh, right, okay. And that was it. And I wasn't expecting a big song and dance or anything. And then afterwards, I was like, why the hell did I just tell him? Obviously, it just, it just came to my head. It felt right, whatever. Had a few drinks. So that was actually the first person I told, randomly. Um, and then obviously, I went off and they all went somewhere else. I went off into Soho and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, which will probably happen quite a lot. It just shows you how my mind works. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so he was the first person I told. Did he tell anybody else? Did you say to him about not telling other people or? Um, I can't remember. I knowing him, he would have been like, "Yep, yeah, cool, no worries about it," and you wouldn't have to tell him that. Um, actually, how it then kind of circulated through friends was I was living with a girlfriend of one of the guys at the club at the time. Um, and again, it was a, a random weekday evening. I think we were actually talking about that night, about me, we went to the cricket, went out, etc. And again, I can't remember whether it was something I said or what the conversation was, but she just turned around and said, are you gay? I went, sorry? Because I was like, oh my God, I've got to, you know, be true to myself. I've already said, if someone asks me, I'll tell yeah. them. So I said, oh, sorry? She said, are you gay? And I said, well, well, yeah, I am actually. And she was just like, oh my God, all this kind of stuff. And that was lovely. But what I then worked out is, so I think might have been within the next week, she had then told other people in our friendship group because I then met a few of them. I think I'd been to football or something. I then went and found them in the pub. And one of my mates who was very drunk at the time came over and put his arm around me and went, he was trying to be nice, but he was just like, yeah, look, Without saying I know, he was like, look, whatever happens, happens. Like, you're a mate and whatever you choose, all this kind of stuff, I support you. And without saying those words, and I was like, I think I know what you mean, thanks. And then I just went over to, to my friend who I told. And I was like, have you said anything? And she was like, yeah, sorry. And it was, it was fine. Like, no one said anything. A few of them were like, again, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but a few of them think I'm too straight to be gay. Yeah. Um, so that goes into stereotypes and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they were very accepting and, you know, not many deep and meaningfuls about it, but they're, they're like, oh, I've got a, a gay mate. Cool. Yeah. Etc. So um, that was interesting. It gets, a, it doesn't get any, well, in terms of work stuff, it wasn't a great coming out. Um, but then I think, I thought like, after all that, I was like, well, I probably got to tell mum and brother, etc. Can I ask you a question? Because sure. before I ask you about you, you're coming out to your yeah. mum and your brother. Mm. Um, I take from what you said that your dad didn't know mm. that you were gay. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not too difficult a question uh, or too personal a question for me to ask. Mm. How do you feel about that now? 
I I wouldn't say I regret it, but in a way, I wish I'd known or made my mind up sooner to be okay with it or truthful. I would like to have him to have known. Um, even though our relationship did deteriorate because of what happened between him and mum and the family, I would have liked him to have known and I don't think it would have changed anything dramatically. I think he would have been okay with it, more than okay with it actually. Um, but yeah, that is something that, you know, if you could turn back the clock and all that kind of stuff, I'd like to have been able to be in a position where I could have told him as well, for sure. So going back then, you, you told me that you obviously told a, a few people and mm. a few people have found out. So mm. the next step is obviously family. Yes. So um, how did you go about telling your mum? Well, again, there's no reason behind any of this, really. It was just, again, I think it was, it was leading up to either, I th- I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, my brother had just moved to Vietnam either that day or that morning or a couple of days before I actually told my mum. Now, I've been doing my usual research. Oh, so God. I reckon you're 34 years of age. Have I got that right? A lady never tells her age, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> um, and I think that you... I've worked out that your brother moved abroad in about 2013. Have I got that Sounds about, about right? right, yeah. Which means you'd have been about 27 Yes. Yeah, 26, 27. Okay, so, so that, that's the sort of time we're talking about when you were having this conversation. So your yeah. brother's moved abroad. Um, yeah, sorry, go back to... Cool. I'm now on. really worried about what's on. <laughs> we talked to the kids so at school about you, this. It's only something yeah. you can find by Googling your name exactly. online. Exactly. So. I, uh, I need to have a look at that when I get home. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah, spot on, uh, that right time frame. Um, but I think he just left, been out there for a day or two. So yeah, again, I don't know what it was. I woke up on the right side of bed and I just thought, I'll I'll tell her. Um, And I remember it quite clearly. She left the house to go and feed next door neighbour's cat or something. I was like, right, okay, I've got a bit of time to think about it. I'll do it. So again, I knew she was coming back in about five, 10 minutes. So I put the kettle on, trying to tea. Yeah, fine. Making the tea. Sat on the, uh, the kitchen side. And I remember being really nervous, heart pumping, all that kind of stuff, a little bit of um, jittery chat. And I just said, mum, I'm gay. And she was like, oh, okay. And like, it, in a, a mum way. Um, she was like, oh, right, okay. So obviously a little bit unexpected because it was out of the blue. And again, you know, you know, they say some mums will know. I don't think she did. Yeah. Um, yeah, and bless her. She then said, oh, well, I guess I have to wait a bit longer for grandkids then, won't I? Which I, I just didn't, I didn't take any note of. I was just like, yeah, fine. And that was it. So I was like, there's your tea. Kind of, I went up to my room, left down with it. And then bless her, about five, 10 minutes later, she knocked on the door. And I was in the middle of emailing my brother because obviously I hadn't spoke to him in person. And I was like, well, I've just told mum. I just, again, rightly or wrongly, I didn't, couldn't pick up the phone or anything like that. So I just whacked him an email. And I was in the middle of writing this email to my brother about it. She came in and she was crying and I was like, oh, bloody hell, what's going on here? She's like, you're right. She's like, I've just realised what I said. And I was like, what did you say? And I was like, oh, I just said about grandkids and I'm really sorry and I know that doesn't mean that, etc. And I was like, to be honest, I didn't even register with that, to be honest. My mind's elsewhere at the moment, yeah. but thank you anyway. It's fine. Um, so she's like, oh, okay, fine. So um, again, that uh, for me, that added a bit of humour to it, bless her. Um, so yeah, and then, so linking in, that's how... 
I then told my brother via email. Um, and he was always going to be cool with it. You know, he's had good friends who are gay, lesbian, etc. So that was never going to be an issue. But he just sent, I think within a day, sent a nice email back saying, awesome, good for you, here for you. Um, for some reason, in my mind, there was something along the lines of, not I wish you'd been more comfortable to tell me, but I wish we could have done it in person, that type yeah. of thing, which I get. Um, but that's just the way the way it went. So yeah, mum and brother. And then actually, if I've got my dates right, it was about the time, that's when Tom Daly stole my thunder. So he actually... It was, because I've read an interview you gave about oh, okay. coming out. Yeah, so he basically stole my thunder. So I think... He it, came out, I think, two weeks after you came out. Was it out. two weeks? Yeah. Okay, fine. I thought it was a bit closer than that. But um, yeah, I remember... Not that I wanted to make a big coming out, whatever, because again, I don't think you need to. Um, but when he came out, I I think it was a Facebook status. I just said, oh, bloody Tom Daly stealing my thunder. I think it was something like that or <laughs> nicking my story. And that's when a few family members then messaged me on Facebook and was like, oh, I've spoken to mum or what do you mean by that? Or does this mean that or whatever? So really supportive messages. But I thought that was a quite a, a jovial way to sort of get it out there. So I had a few nice messages from friends and family. And that was how it kind of all kick-started really. So... Yeah. Did, did you get any um, two questions arise out of mm. that firstly did you get any negative reactions at any stage from anybody not from that no it was all lots of likes lots of comments of support um, so that couldn't have gone any better really um, and I think that just shows sort of in a way I've always said I think I'm kind of lucky to be able to come out in, in this kind of time compared to what it was maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, even yeah. further down the line, where it was life was a lot tougher for people. Um, although it's not perfect now still, um, especially for certain groups of the LGBT community, I think I was very lucky to have the support network and, and everyone in place. And the other question that arises out of that, bearing in mind, so the time, the age at which you came out, why do you think it was it took you kind of so long to come to terms with it? Mm. I mean, I, I probably know the answer because I think it's the answer that pretty much everyone my guests had given me, but I should probably ask you. Um, I thought you might ask this. And honestly, I don't know. If I could put it on anything, I just... Maybe it was just delaying, delaying the inevitable. I mean... My last, I would say my last proper relationship was with a, a female, a, a girl. Um, that lasted a fair while. Um, so maybe that was still in the back of my head thinking, well, you know, do I fully commit or half commit or whatever? I mean, I've always looked at it and gone, yeah, 26, 27, potentially some people might find that quite late to come out or not have that realisation. I just, I don't know, Ed, to be honest. I just took my time for whatever reason it just never felt right or I never fully understood it or not that was ever I don't think I was ever trying to hide stuff I don't remember feeling scared about it or wanting to hide it from people and I wouldn't say I was ever in environments that would suppress it or anything like that obviously at school you'd have idiots saying stupid things or whatever and not necessarily personal to you it was just because people said that kind of stuff yeah um but I've I, I don't know. I've never been able to put my finger on it. Probably what I would say is that, again, it's not really a regret, but I think if I had my time again, I would like to have known for sure a bit earlier and come out and 
especially in teens or around the 18 mark, actually been out and actually, I wouldn't say enjoyed myself more, mm. but had that younger experience of being LGBT. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it'd be interesting to see what you think, because you said you, you might know the answer, but... <laughs> well, it's, I, I mean, it, it's just a quite common theme for people I ask about this, is that they... And it sounds like you may be different, actually, but mm. a lot of people had viewed the idea of being gay as being very negative. They mm. didn't they didn't associate anything positive about being gay, mm. and there were no positive role models. Sure. And so, although a lot of people acknowledged that they probably were gay or were, in mm. fact, gay, they did their very best to either put out their minds or mm. whatever. Um, but it sounds as though it's not that wasn't necessarily your position. I don't... I honestly don't think so. I mean, one thing that's just popped into my head, maybe... And again, this might play into stereotypes or um, subconscious stuff. I don't know. But because I was so sporty, I was so active, I had sporty mates and we were doing stuff. I just never maybe made that correlation with the two or or whatever. I don't know what that actually says about it. But I just, yeah, I don't really ever feel, remember feeling suppressed by it or anything like that just always curious, had thoughts, had feelings, um, but never acted on it. Maybe if I acted on things a bit earlier, that might have happened. But again, there are people at school that you would look at and spend time with and think stereotypically they're gay because they show certain characteristics and all that nonsense. Um, But otherwise, yeah, maybe it would have been different if I had someone to confide in properly and, and express that maybe that's probably why it took a bit longer. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I can't really put my finger on it. So coming out to friends and family sounds as though, I mean, obviously difficult coming out, but mm. sounds to be fairly uneventful. But you alluded to the fact that the school situation, the work situation was a little bit more messy and complicated. It was, unfortunately, yes. Um, and hopefully I'll explain this well, because there are, a few different elements to it and I'll probably say one thing and that'll remind me of something else. So, um, but basically it was a combination of staff and students finding out and then spreading a rumor or spreading the story or or talking about it in different ways. Um, How, how did those rumors come about? So I, so obviously I started in the sports club um, and no one knew then. I, I was out, but not to anyone there. Um, so first five, six months working and, you know, I love the place and the school have dealt with these kind of issues really, really well. So I'm not kind of dogging them in any way. Um, but the P department, sports department was very blokey laddie chats yeah. all that kind of stuff so certain things were said um in conversation and whatever things you can imagine um that i wasn't particularly comfortable with and it just, it just kind of it built up to a point where one evening on the whatsapp group i just went okay i'm now uncomfortable blah blah, blah i am gay etc got a couple of messages back from people which is really positive a few sheepish people the next day as well come up to me going, I'm really sorry, like I've just remembered that I might have said that or I did say that or I did do that, you know. And it was, it, again, it, it was definitely an education for people as well because they haven't had an out LGBT person in the department. Yeah. 
Um, so that kind of kick-started it. So that's when the sports department knew, and then obviously a few other people in conversation, staff members around the school. So again, unfortunately, there's, uh, there's two or three different versions of events, but in certain conversations, staff members had mentioned or hinted that I was gay. So I think, for instance, um, alluded to the fact I wouldn't be able to have a family naturally, um, Another member of staff, for some reason, brought something up around that as well. So there was, there was that element to it, so that happened. And when you say they brought it up, does that mean, are you talking about in context of students hearing about it? Or? Yeah, so in conversation with students, they had alluded to the fact that I was gay in some way. Right. In some way. Um, which, again, obviously it's not their news to, to spread and all that kind of stuff. So that was a little bit uncomfortable. And then... It, it was brought to my attention by another pupil. So from that conversation, he was then, for whatever reason, thought it was his responsibility to go and tell other people in different year groups and, and whatever. So that's how it got spread, I guess. Um, what was that period like for you when sort of the rumours about your personal life are sort of circulating at school, but not as a result of you making any disclosures? Yeah, it was horrible. Really horrible. Um, I mean, it was sort of bad enough that I was still having to deal with certain language around the school being used by kids and some staff yeah. and trying to, I guess, educate them, etc. Um, but yeah, it was horrible because, you know, I was like, well, do they know? Have they, you know, every look, every comment and whatever, are you thinking, well, do they know? Are they talking about me? Is that to do with that, etc.? So it, was, it wasn't pleasant at all for a good couple of months. Um, but I went to headmaster, spoke to him about it. He was really, you know, angered and, and sympathetic and it was dealt with as best you can. But that, in a way, ended up being a positive because I then started taking assemblies for different year groups about homophobic language, homophobic bullying, me, etc. So, in a way, I ended up taking ownership of it because if they didn't know in that assembly, I came out to them Mm. um so that was a big relief that was you know obviously talking to them about what is right what is wrong how it impacts people but then also me being able to actually tell everyone and be okay with it so kind of taking some sort of ownership back on it um and nice to have the support it seems of the, the hierarchy of the school in doing that as well. 100%, yeah. So um, I can't remember actually how the idea came up. I think, I'm guessing it was along the lines of we have this issue in school, would you be able to do an assembly on it? Um, obviously various versions for different age groups. Yeah. Um, but yeah, jumped at the chance um, and had some really good help and ideas from certain people. It was well received um, it was nice to see people in those assemblies that wouldn't normally be at assemblies as well. So they were showing me support through that, which was brilliant. Um, but yeah, and, and I think, you know, you know, if you, the old classic, if you only help one person, it's worth it. You know, I got some good feedback from heads of year and other staff who may not have been out, but saying what you're doing is really important. Thank you. Um, I think it's helped, you know, a few kids actually accept who they are and come out and then then be more proactive about what's happening in their year groups and helping create a better environment. Um, so in the end, it, it turned out to be 
really positive. Um, the Rainbow Laces campaign was well supported by the school and the department. So, um, you know, we bought a load in for, through the charity uh, department at school. We sold them to pupils at lunch. The sports department wore them. Um, there was a big um, newspaper article, I think, for Croydon, whatever it was. Um, so it's got better and there's been support um, for it. We've, over the last year and a bit, we helped set up our first LGBT in plus inclusive society. Wow, at the school? At the school. That's incredible. So it's the first time we've ever had it. Um, and do you have openly gay kids at school? Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, I, say, I say wow because mm. from my perspective... And most of the guests I've spoken to have been kind of of my age or similar age mm. to me. The idea of that is sort of just mm. mind blowing because mm. you know we grew up in a time where no one would have dared admit to be gay, let alone have a LGBT inclusive group. Mm. But it's it's you know fantastic to hear that here we are in twenty twenty, and schools now have LGBT groups for their openly gay school children. Yeah, and I don't think it's that uncommon either. You know, I think a lot of schools now, especially in the current climate with Black Lives Matter and the Bain community and whatever, you know, I think there's an importance for every voice to be heard and to be supported. So, I mean, we were lucky we've we set we set that up and, you know, we invited kids from all age groups to come in and, and, and just be open and chat and socialise and talk about their problems and also kind of help shape what we do at school in terms of the education around it. Um so yeah, it, it, it's it's been really good, and you know, I think it's not perfect, but you know, it is getting there. I think people are, are definitely accepting of it, and even if they're not, I think tolerance is there. You know, they're not necessarily openly voicing opinions about it. And it's you know, it's. I hope it's a nice environment for LGBT plus people. Um, slowly but surely, we're getting there. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you because I've already interviewed um, Dan O'Hare, who's an educational psychologist. So I got his input in terms mm. of, you know, what should be happening in schools and what some schools are doing. And I wanted to get some sort of on-the-ground input from a teacher, you mm. know, as to how things are going. And that's really, really encouraging. Did you have any negativity? I mean, have you had any negativity from pupils at school at all? Not openly. I don't think, not openly. Um, it, it, we've got um, a notice board set up, which is obviously rainbows and all sorts of um, fantastic stuff on there. Um, we had some stone, we got some stonewall posters in and had them dotted around the school. A few of them went missing or a couple of kids uh, did complain about so many of them being up in certain areas. So I think a couple were taken down. But I wasn't involved in in that process. Um, so on on the whole, I, I think it has been well received and well respected. Um, like I said, I haven't had anything on my desk to say people are opposed to it and um, or anything like that. Obviously, some heads of year have had to deal with certain people expressing opinions, but um, I think they've dealt with it well. Um, I want to talk to you about sport now, and particularly cricket. Um, and obviously, you told us about the fact you were a very keen cricketer growing up and I think you well I know in fact you still play cricket I think you're, you play for Southern Cricket Club is that right? That is correct yes um, and you've also told us that you're involved in the sort of England physical disability setup. how did that role come about? So uh, about 
six to seven years ago, so basically at my start of life at Trinity, um, we were lucky enough to have a cricket professional come in and be part of our coaching staff, a chap called Ian Salisbury, expert England international, ex-sorry. So we're lucky enough to have him there and just an amazing guy, like helped me with my coaching, the school set up, everything kind of helped change the culture a little bit. So an amazing person. He then left us to take over as head coach of England physical disability team. Um, And we'd just been good mates and we always kept in touch. Um, So, and they have a Lions program, which is the the group of players below the main squad. So it was a combination of him asking me or me asking him to say, look, can I come along and help at a coaching day? Like fell in love with it. you know, when you, you see guys with cerebral palsy or a prosthetic leg or one arm or uh, there's one lad who only has, um, his arms only go up to his elbows, so basically has stumps and still plays cricket properly. You know, again, not to sound too cliche and cheesy, but it gives you perspective on things. And yeah. it's so rewarding and just listening to them and what they go through, it kind of just puts everything, you know, what you think's bad is you know, not half as bad as what they go through. But anyway, um, so got involved in that um, over the last few years on a voluntary basis, just going down helping. And then, la- not last, was it last? Yeah, it would have been last um, April. Um, their training camp in Le Mangle fell through. So Saul's contacted me and said, look, any chance we could use the school? So pulled some strings and they came in for the, they reached the camp at school alongside some of our boys, which was brilliant for everyone involved. Um, and then that led into the World Cup that I spoke about earlier. Um, so yeah, then I volunteered some time at the World Cup to get involved with the main squad, which is brilliant. Um, and then kind of from that, I've they've changed the setup of the Lions program. So it's the physical, the learning and the hearing impaired groups. They all now train together rather than separate squads. So I'm lead coach of the Lions PD squad. Um, and then there's me and two or three other coaches that lead this pan disability group over the winter. So that was going really well until the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, so that's been put on the back burner a little bit, although the main squad played or have played a couple of matches recently, which is great. Um, so yeah, that's basically how I got in, basically through Souls. Um, so hopefully that will continue in the winter if, if and when we get the go-ahead. And it seems to me, I mean, from the work I did in... in um trying to tackle homophobia in football, mm. that cricket was kind of held up as being sort of, um, you know, an example as to how mm. professional sport should be trying to deal with inclusivity and, and promoting diversity. I mean, have I got the right, um, you know, view of that? I mean, is the ECB doing a good job in that respect? It's an interesting one because they do, they do. I think they could do more, but... Potentially, from their side of things, it could be, well, we don't actually have a problem like football might do or other sports. So do we need to actually do more? Do we need to raise more awareness when actually I think everything's okay? Which I can understand. Um, Now, for those who may not know, they they do have weekends or fortnights where it's the rainbow laces or the rainbow stumps. So the stumps have rainbow stickers on them. Um, The scores the score screens in rainbow colours and all that kind of stuff. So there is that support there, um, but it is only for maybe one, two weeks of the summer. Um, it was put on the back burner last year because of the Ashes and the World Cup. Um, 
so th there are little bits here and there um, but again I now with the, the change of structure and the, the dynamic of everything I guess certain things get put back a little bit more um, but yeah I mean there's obviously I mean as far as I'm aware there's only one out gay cricketer is it still Steve Davis is the only out gay cricketer as far as I'm aware yes and he came out I think in 2011 didn't he yeah well, well with, okay. without much reaction at the time um, mm. I don't know at the moment in the newspapers obviously as is often the case big stories about you know the potential of being a premiership footballer mm. who's gay why do you think it was that cricket reacted so calmly to an openly gay professional player um, whereas football still struggling Potentially because it's it's a completely different sport. It's a different dynamic. It's a different mentality. You know, there is that that still bat v ball competition and people trying to bowl quickly and get you out and not necessarily hurt you, but intimidate you. But I don't think it, the same way as football might be played at times. And again, going back to stereotypes, you know, you know, if you show any sign of weakness or anything like that in football people's go-to at times are homophobic language and all that kind of stuff. Whereas mm. in cricket, I don't think you see that um, as much, although there were a couple of incidents over the winter in Australia, in the Big Bash, where a couple of players reported to have said something they shouldn't have done. Um, so I, I think it's just like the one-off case here and there. But I, th I think it's just the nature of the sport. It's played a different way. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's competitive. But people don't step over that that edge. And potentially, you know, football still does carry that stigma, that that barrier, that mindset. Some people still have, whether they're playing it or whether they're in the crowd, of of reverting back to type in, in that kind of sense. So that's one thing I can think of really. My perception is a sort of sort of semi-cricket fan and a rugby fan mm. is that there's also a difference in the way that people support those sports mm. so mm. you go and sort of watch a cricket match or you watch a rugby match you're in amongst supporters of the opposite team and it's all kind mm. of quite civilised it's not quite the tribalism you get on a you know in a football stadium and mm. I, I kind of sometimes wonder whether that is part of the blame or part of the reason for the problem yeah I'd say that go a long way to it as well for sure you know um depending on what type of cricket game you go to it's a very different atmosphere you know longer format is very quiet and controlled T20 stuff you're normally going to get someone calling a player a plonker or something else rather than reverting to anything else because yeah it's a, probably a different type of person watching and, and different type yeah of, it does seem to be a very uh, different type of crowd at a T20 game 100% yeah well, it's, it's, it's got a lot more fashionable now people up in London business partners taking people out to go and get drunk at the, the cricket yeah. etc so it's a different clientele and I think the general cricket fan cricket badger will just go and want to watch the game and, and see a good game and if something happens to go wrong it doesn't really matter that much you're not going to lose the plot over it it just happens it's just not that kind of sport and you were saying moments ago that um, ECB the English Cricket Board have done obviously a lot to promote um, inclusion diversity mm. but you also sort of alluded to the fact that they could do more I mean, what would you like to see them do more? It's really interesting because I've been asked that before and I probably come across by saying there's a problem but can't come up with a solution. So don't come to me with problems, come up with solutions, that type of thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of it. So I don't know what support network there is for players behind the scenes. I know the PCA, Players Cricket Association, 
do some really good work and support people in, in all sorts of ways. So I'm sure they're doing stuff there and there's awareness. Um, but yeah, I, I think just potentially education around players as well would be good. Um, again, some things you do hear from players at times at, at certain levels is a little bit disappointing. Um, so whether there's a, a proper educational process involved or not, I don't know. Um, but yeah, but like I said, maybe there's not a need in cricket to have uh, football against homophobia a fortnight or a month or whatever they do in the Premier League and, and have that um, element there. So it's a, it's a tricky one. I mean, generally I've had positive experiences through cricket. I've only heard a couple of things on the cricket pitch and it's just been in conversation. It hasn't been anything directed at me or another player well necessarily it's just stupid stuff that's said over eating tea or or one player to another in their own team type thing um so it's never been anything like that um or there's a couple other guys who've done articles for sky sports in the last year or so um that may have different experiences um but generally i've been well supported through the article i did um so i think things like that help you know, yeah. through Sky Sports and ECB doing those kind of promotions from a grassroots level. Because you did an interview, I think, with Sky Sports a couple of years ago yes. about how you were promoting the Rainbow Laces campaign. Yeah. And part of the part of the article was about how you were obviously promoting it within the school, as you already talked about yes. as well. Yeah. And um, I, I just want to ask you very briefly about LGBT football. Sure. Um, what sort of... I mean, you sort of already touched upon a little bit, but, I mean, what, what's the advantages of LGBT football as opposed to just going joining a mainstream Sunday league football team so I, I think for me it was because I didn't really well I'd probably go as far as saying I, when I came out I didn't have any gay mates and all my social circles through work and cricket I didn't as, as far as I'm aware there wasn't anyone else there who was openly gay etc people at work were but we were just colleagues rather than rather than friends. So for me, it was kind of a, a win-win. Kind of go and start playing football again because that's what I love. But also, hopefully, find a new network of friends and a support network and like-minded people. Um, whether it be Titans players or whether it be players from other teams, etc. You know, you, you quickly get to. I wouldn't say you're all in this together in in the LUL league or or the national stuff, but you know, you do get to see friendly faces, familiar faces every other week or whenever it might be. So I, I think that's just a nice bond to have, I think, even though if you go at each other for 90 minutes, if you can still walk off and and be mates around it. So I think that was just a big appeal for me as well to grow that kind of social network a little bit. Yeah, and just, I wouldn't say necessarily see what the standard was like, but just get playing football again. You know, yeah. whether it was a really high standard or low standard, whatever, I just love playing and getting on with it and you know and that's what I love about the LUL league especially because you do have such a, a wide range of players especially at our club and the LUL league for anybody who knows the London Unity League which is a Sorry, LG, yeah. uh, LGBT friendly mm. football league based in London although there are other LUL leagues around the country mm. but I mean it's interesting because I mean I've, I've said it before when I did my story about how um, I finished I didn't play football from the age of 18 until the age of about 30 31 and it was a friend who said to me, um, 
one of the first gay friends I made, he sort of said, oh, by the way, this, this LGBT football team's just been set up. Um, you know, just fans coming along. I think mm. I went along to sort of what was the second training session. And it was exactly the same thing. I hadn't played football for years because I hadn't really been interested in playing mainstream, you know, straight football, for want of a better phrase. And um, so it gave me an opportunity to get back into playing football again. But it was also the fact that all of a sudden it gave me this instant, you know, social circle that, um, you know, I've already come to many times this podcast, but how those have been enduring friendships for me over the years. Um, two questions I always ask all my guests, Sam, and you've already kind of answered, I think, one of them, but I'll ask you it again. Sure. Um, if you had your time again, and we're going through the whole coming out process again, would you do anything differently? Um, yeah, so I definitely would like to have known earlier. I think like I mentioned before, again, obviously, um, that would have allowed me to tell my dad as well. Um, but how, do you think, how, how would you manage to sort of have done that earlier? I mean, what would, would have been thinking over again? What would you do to have achieved that? So I think when we were talking about school, I think if there was more awareness at my high school and probably sixth form like an LGBT society or if it was spoken about more in lessons or whatever then I think that might have opened my mind a little bit more and explored that a bit more and had someone to go and talk to about it but again I don't remember anything like that so that's probably what helped delay things a little bit more so that definitely would have helped and probably helped me arrive there a little bit earlier Um, but otherwise I think, again, probably, yeah, probably telling my brother face-to-face as well before yeah. he went. But again, that, that was just the way it worked out. That's, that was just the timeline. That's how it felt, right? I was never going to rush it. It just, like I kind of said, when I when I spoke about uh, ten, the first person I told Chris at the cricket, it just came out of nowhere type thing. So, um, yeah, there are bits of it I would I would love to do again. But on the whole, I'm I'm pretty pretty content with it. And second question, what advice, if any, would you give to anybody who's sort of at that stage in their life (laughs) is contemplating sort of going through the coming out process? Yeah. Um, It's interesting. So we've kind of spoken a little bit about this at school and had these conversations before. I would just say don't, don't rush it. Make sure you're happy in your own space, your own head and comfortable it's easy to say, but try not to think about the negative impacts of it or who might react a certain way because, again, I'm a big believer in, and I might think differently if it had been family, but if people react badly to it or negatively or whatever, then that's their problem, not yours, and that kind of shows you who you need to be around a little bit, although that would be very hard to do with family, and, and you know, I don't wish that on anyone, and I, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to go through that, um, but yeah, I don't think I'm I'm full of much wisdom to be honest. Ed. I think it's just just keep it simple, just be comfortable. Only do it when you're ready. Don't be forced into it. And I, again, like I said, I don't think it's something that people should have to do and come out. Only if you feel comfortable doing it. I know there's a national coming out day and whatever. And if that works for some people, then great. Um, but otherwise, hopefully, we get to a place where you can just potentially turn up with your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever, to your loved ones and go, oh, by the way, this is so-and-so, and they just go, oh, right, cool. But I, I think we all hope for that. Day. Hopefully. But I, I fear it's probably a little way off yet. 
Uh, well, Sam, this remains me to say thank you very much. I've really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for being sort of very candid and honest about your own personal story and sharing with us your sort of professional career, your insight from being a teacher. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me to come and do it. I've really enjoyed it, and um, hopefully some of that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, no, and good luck with the rest of, of the podcast and it's all going. Thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed the podcast if you did please rate review and subscribe and get in touch with us via twitter or instagram or through the website 